Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. What an exciting day for us as we celebrate these graduates and what they've accomplished and what they've done. And we're going to have a neat presentation at the end of the service for them in a time of prayer and commitment. Um, But I just want to congratulate you guys. Well done. This is the beginning of a new chapter for you. And I pray the Lord does great things in your life and in your heart. And I want to give you a message the Lord's given me this morning that I pray the Lord will speak to you very clearly. And just help you as you move forward in, in the path forward. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to begin. Father, thank you for this day, a day of celebration and excitement, Father, thankful of all that's happened, but excited about the future. Lord, I pray for our time this morning during this message. I pray these graduates would uh, just hear from you, Lord. I pray they wouldn't hear my words, but yours. I pray they would hear the truth of your word, and I pray that that truth would just really just pierce right into their hearts, Father. And allow them maybe to understand truth that they haven't heard or give them spiritual eyes to see things they haven't seen before. Just allow this to grab them, Father, and to speak to them. And Lord, I pray that we just sense your presence and sense your power as we study the word together this morning. I pray you'd receive honor and glory. Father, I pray through the power of the Spirit that we could be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. July the 2nd, 1982, a a man by the name of Larry Walters took 42 helium-filled weather balloons, tied them to a lawn chair, and decided he was going to float up above his neighborhood and kind of get a different view of the world. Now, Larry had a great plan. He decided that he was going to tie these weather balloons, fill them up. He had tethered himself to the bumper of his girlfriend's car in her backyard. And he believed that he would just kind of slowly ascend over his neighborhood and get a nice view of Southern California. He he lived in Los Angeles. But Larry underestimated the balloon's lifting power. And so when the first tether was cut, his ground crew, which is just his buddies kind of hanging out in the backyard, cut his first tether. Unexpectedly, the second tether broke, and Larry shot up as if fired out of a cannon. He didn't slowly ascend into the heavens. He began to rise at about 1,000 feet per minute. Now, he was so disoriented by the speed at which he was rising, his glasses fell off, he got scared. Several minutes later, he found himself, this is all a true story, by the way, I'm not embellishing anything, he found himself at 16,000 feet, (laughs) sitting in a lawn chair with 42 balloons. Now, of course, Larry didn't think this out, as he probably should have. The winds blew him towards LAX. And a true story, I'm going to look at my notes, make sure I don't miss it. A TWA pilot first spotted Larry and radioed the tower. He was passing a guy in a lawn chair (laughs) at 16,000 feet. Now, Larry had this great plan. Larry had this great plan, man. He had this, and this is all online, by the way. He, you can go see him, you can read his story. David Letterman interviewed him. He had a BB gun. 
his plan was, as he ascended farther up, he was going to shoot the balloons out one by one and slowly descend. I mean, brilliant, right? It makes a lot of sense. The problem was he ascended so quickly and got so disoriented as he tried to shoot a couple of balloons, he dropped his BB gun. And so he's floating at 16,000 feet for several hours. Fortunately, the helium finally dissipated and the balloons begin to settle back down to earth. He actually got tangled in some power lines. He's very fortunate. He came back down to earth, was unharmed, actually walked away from the incident. Of course, he was arrested. The FAA fined him $4,000. They reduced that finally to $1,500. But Larry was asked in the wake of all this, Larry, why would you do such a crazy thing? Larry said, it's always been my dream to put these balloons on a lawn chair and fly around my neighborhood. That was his lifelong goal, his lifelong dream. It's an interesting dream to have, isn't it? And I thought about this incident as I was thinking about our graduates. Because Larry had a a good dream. It was an an interesting, strange sort of dream, but it was a dream from childhood. And he was really proud when you read and hear his interviews. He fulfilled that childhood dream. It was a big deal for him. As silly as it may sound to us, it was a big deal for him. And so the question I want to ask you guys specifically this morning, and parents and grandparents and all you guys that are here to hear this morning, what's your dream I hope one day I'm not going to read about you floating around in a lawn chair and balloons. I hope that's not your dream. But you're at a point in your life now, guys, where you're starting to dream bigger dreams, aren't you? And you're starting to make bigger decisions. I, I was thinking and talking with our 830 service about this idea. You know, up until this point, kind of your path in life has kind of been set for you. You didn't choose what elementary school, you couldn't choose what high school, you didn't have a whole lot of choice in your classes, although now that's changing a little bit. All of a sudden you've got a choice, don't you? College career, marriage, whatever life for you from this point is going to look for. What it's going to look like, you've got the choice to make it. Nobody else is going to tell you or make you or force you. It's on you. And so what's your dream? Are you going to look back in 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and have realized your dream? Or maybe you're going to realize you didn't really have the dream God wanted you to have. Because here's what I want you to understand this morning. I can't give you your dream. We can't give them their dream. We can't tell them what the Lord's going to do in their life. We, we can't tell you what the Lord wants to use you to accomplish. We don't know those things. But what we can say with certainty is this. First of all, the Lord has got a plan for your life. Parents would, would attest to that, right? We've been down the road long enough to kind of figure that out. Some of us took the wrong path at first and we kind of got straightened out. The Lord's got a plan for your life and he gives you, I believe in Scripture, this is what I want to show you this morning, Some very simple, guiding, biblical principles that will help you not only figure out God's plan for your life, but figure out how to fulfill that plan for His honor and for His glory. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, if you were with us last week, Mother's Day, we were in 2 Timothy, and it wasn't necessarily my intent to preach from 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy. But these are such good passages of Scripture because in 1 Timothy, Paul again is speaking to this young man named Timothy. He's writing in this letter. And he's explaining to Timothy basically, if you wanted to kind of summarize the books of 1 and 2 Timothy, this is kind of how you ought to live. 
So, so graduates, as, as we're kind of thinking through the, the next several years and career and college, and we want some kind of guiding principles to help us understand how to live and how to be Christ-like and try to figure out the plan the Lord has given for us, the, the Lord has, in His wisdom, given us the book of 1 Timothy because Paul is going to speak very clearly to this young man. He's going to give him some very simple principles. And I would say to you guys as you move forward, if you're kind of looking for guiding principles, in your life, if you're looking kind of for core values or things biblically you ought to be doing to figure out God's plan, Paul's going to give them to you here in the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy. So we're going to begin in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. Now I want to say this about verses 3, 4, and 5. These three verses could be a sermon in and of themselves. And I just think it's neat how, how the Lord again, in his wisdom, gave this to Paul and to Timothy and now to us today because these three verses, graduates, will apply to you when you go to college in the next several years and you run into this professor that's going to make fun of the Bible, going to make fun of Christianity, going to make fun of your faith and your beliefs. Now, this isn't the sermon, right? This is just kind of a little side note to this, but pay careful attention to these first three verses. They'll speak to you. Verse 3 of 1 Timothy 6. The words of our Lord. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Now you can kind of think here about a teacher or professor you may have that's going to disagree with the sound doctrine, going to laugh at your faith. We would understand scripturally that this person is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. Verse 5, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Right. So just a, a whole idea there about not listening to people that aren't interested in things of God. Now verse 6, this is kind of the meat of what I want to get into this morning. But, right, so here's the contrast. Godliness... With contentment is great gain. Interesting. 4, verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Verse 8. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Now, there's a lot of things in there. I want to kind of think through that together this morning. But here's the the underlying principle, the first truth I want you to see in verses 6, 7, and 8. Number one, if we're going to find God's will for our life, graduates, if you want a good piece of biblical advice moving forward, number one, it's on the screen, find contentment in the Lord. Am I right, parents? Not enough of y'all agreed with that. Maybe I need to... There we go. Maybe I'm, telling, maybe I'm talking to the parents more I'm talking to the kids, right? We need to find contentment in the things of the Lord, don't we? Because it's not often that the world tells us to do that. Right? Con- contentment is defined as a state of happiness and satisfaction. And we kind of understand contentment. We, we get that. Paul kind of clues us in. Bring, bring verse 8 back up very quickly if you would. Paul kind of clues us in on contentment. If you have food and clothing with these things, you'll be content. Right? We understand contentment. We, we, we kind of get that. We understand what it means. Bring verse 6 up again. The problem is with the first, first three words. It's not about contentment. We understand contentment. We don't understand contentment in the things of the Lord, though, do we? 
Because we've fallen into this trap. Graduates, I don't want you to fall into this trap because this is exactly where the world wants to take you. We've fallen into this trap where people say to us, you can't find contentment in the things of the Lord. You can only find happiness and joy and contentment in the things of the world. And so kind of we've been, we've been spoon-fed this now most of our lives where, where the world says something like this, right? You need to separate from the things of the Lord because that's where true happiness comes from. If you really want to enjoy life, get out of church, get away from your parents and talk about the Lord. That's just a thumb on you. There's just a bunch of rules and regulations. It's no fun. Get away from that stuff because there's no real contentment there. Kind of enjoy the things of the world. Sow your oats, so to speak. Enjoy the things that the world offers. Then you'll find true contentment. Paul says to Timothy, be careful. That sounds good now, but it only leads to ruin. If you kind of live your life seeking the things of the world, you're going to end up unhappy. Now here's the difficulty for us. Here's the problem for us. We live in a world that doesn't want us to be content with anything we have. You say, what do you mean? Well, think about it like this. Billions and billions of dollars are spent every year through advertisements to convince you that the things you have aren't good enough. Right? You need something more. You thought this was nice enough, you fill in the blank of what you thought this was nice enough, but you need something newer. You thought this was good enough, but you need the, the next version, right? You thought this was nice enough, but you need something bigger, right? The, the world kind of tries to convince us on a regular basis, over and over again, that the things you have aren't good enough. And you need more stuff, you need the newest thing, you need the bigger, you need the better. And if you'll get those things, you'll find real contentment. That's what the world says. But I like how one author explains this. I think he kind of hit the nail on the head. He says, contentment, contrary to popular opinion, doesn't mean being satisfied where, where you are. Rather, it's knowing God's plan for your life having a conviction to live it, and believing that God's peace is greater than the world's problems. So, see, our, our ultimate calling in life is to please the Lord. Our calling in life is to please the Lord, bring Him honor, bring Him glory. But when we bind to kind of the things of the world and this idea of bigger and better, we reverse that and we say, really the calling in life is to please self, to bring glory to self, to do things that make me happy, and we reverse it. And Paul says, listen, you just need to be careful here. You think contentment comes in the things of the world, students, but it really doesn't. Now, I don't, I don't have time, and I would never do this to kind of parade people by, but I bet there are hundreds of people in our church this morning who could tell you this exact same story. I thought I was finding contentment in the things of the world. I kind of walked down the path, realized it was a dead end, and I never really found true contentment until I got serious with the Lord and began to really trust Him. See, the, the problem is, is we've kind of confused our wants with our needs. We want something, and we think we really need it. I... I, I my grandmother grew up in the Great Depression, was, was actually married right before the Great Depression, October of 1929. So Meemaw, that was her name, and Granddad, they're both dead now. They lived through the Great Depression. They had jobs, praise the Lord, and were able to keep a house. But they just had to scrap and work and just kind of find every little thing they could to survive. And my grandmother, her dying days, said, and I never quite understood this, and I don't necessarily say I agree with it, but I understand her point. She said... What our country needs more than anything else right now is another depression. 
And you say, why? That's so harsh. You said, because people don't appreciate what they have. We have so much stuff, and we've kind of bought into this lie that more is better, that we forget sometimes the Lord tells us, you know what, it's not about the stuff, it's about your walk with Christ. It's about seeking out the things of the Lord, not the things of the world. And I love that Paul says this because it's easy for us to, to, to read this and, and, and we think about Paul. And if you don't know a whole lot about Paul, you may think, well, you know, it's easy for Paul to talk about contentment because he wrote most of the New Testament. Other than Christ, he may be the most well-known biblical figure in history. We know him. He's loved. He's revered. Of course it was easy for Paul to find contentment. But if you really begin to read through the life of Paul and understand Paul and what he went through, he had a very difficult life. In fact, I'll just here's a list of a few things Paul went through. Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was on the run oftentimes, left for dead, stoned, the target of several, several failed murder attempts, imprisoned in a Roman jail. He eventually lost his life for the sake of the gospel. So, so here's a man who, who suffered greatly one just given the things of the world and yet found contentment. And I love what he says in Philippians 4. We have it on the screen. You don't have to flip there, but I want you to just listen to the words of Paul, the man that was beaten and shipwrecked and imprisoned. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say rejoice. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now hold it just for a second right there. Go back. Go back to verse 6. So he's saying, like, don't be anxious. Present your request to God. Pray to God. Trust God. Do we not have, do we not have verse 7? That's okay. Philippians 4, 7, if you may know it. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, right? So if we'll trust the Lord, if we'll seek the Lord, if we'll make our request be made known to Him, then the peace of God will have this peace, and I love the phrase, that transcends or surpasses or goes beyond all understanding. Like, we don't even really know why we have peace, but we find peace in the things of Christ. And, and then he goes on down to verse 11. Go to verse 11 now, if you would, for me, please. It's frozen. Good thing I've got my own copy right here on my podium, so I'm just going to read it for you, right? If I, if I can see it. Okay, there we go. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I'm speaking. Now, he's just talked about seeking the Lord and finding peace in the things of the Lord. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Keep going. I know, uh, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then the next one we're familiar with this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Right? So Paul, just kind of the, 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 the idea of the progression there, right? He's found peace through prayer and trusting the Lord. And when he finds that peace, it leads him to contentment even in the midst of difficult situations. Now, you guys probably have already figured this out, and, and maybe moms and dads could, could at some point remind our students of this. We're going to face times when we don't feel at peace, right? We're going to face struggles. And, and, and I, I mean this with all my heart. I'm going to pray for you guys that first moment when you're in college and you don't feel that peace, because you'll, you'll feel it. There'll be a moment when you're upset or you feel down or you don't sense the peace or you're wondering what you're doing there. It's in those moments, right? It's easy when things are good. It's in those moments of struggle that we trust the Lord. 
So in those moments of struggle that we, that we find new strength and new contentment and, and new strength in who he is. We find that peace. We find that hope. We find that contentment. Not in the things of the world, but in the things of Christ. Now, back to 1 Timothy 9. Let's continue. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. We have it on the screen as well. But, right, so another contrast. Right? We've already talked about the godly person that seeks the things of the Lord, finds contentment in the things of Christ. But, there's a contrast. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Here's the second truth I want you to do. We find contentment in the things of the Lord. We're trying to figure out how to live our lives, graduates, and how to make wise choices. Truth number two, don't make decisions based solely on money. Don't make decisions based solely on money. Paul gives us this incredible contrast here between the man of God that's interested in the things of the Lord and the man interested in the things of money. And he uses these words in verses 9 and 10. Listen to the phrases and the words that Paul uses when he talks about the man that seeks after riches. Fall into temptation, trap, foolish, harmful desires, plunge men into ruin, destruction. Right? We see there's a danger and the people that seek after riches oftentimes get trapped. Now you say, how does that actually happen? What does it look like for somebody to be trapped or to find themselves in danger? I'll give you some stats that every person in this room will understand. U.S. personal debt is at an all-time high. Did you know that? The amount of debt that the people of this country owe is in the trillions of dollars. Did you know that? So here's some averages. The average household that has a credit card, that average household debt for a credit card is $16,000. Average debt for an auto loan is $27,000. Average debt for a student loan is $48,000. Average debt for a mortgage is $169,000. You begin to add those things up, and all of a sudden we find ourselves trapped, don't we? Men and women, we ever met somebody that's trapped in debt? Yeah? Ever know somebody that's just kind of crushed by debt? Ever met somebody that's kind of fallen into this place and they feel like they're heading for a a ruin or a place of destruction? All the things that Paul says here are true. Now, students, you're not at the point yet of of making big-time financial decisions, although you're quickly heading that direction. There's going to be a desire for you in the very near future to incur great amounts of debt to have the things you want. You need to run from that. I promise you, you need to run from that. With everything in your being, you need to run from that. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get this little piece of plastic, right, parents? And you're going to think it's an endless supply. Now, if it's yours, it may be an endless supply, mom and dad. I don't know about that. But if it's your personal and you've got to pay it back, right? I don't know how good you are in math, but the interest you're going to owe on the credit card debt you're going to incur is going to be difficult for you to get out from under. And we know far too many people that have done this. Paul says you need to be careful. You need to be aware. You don't need to live a life thinking that you need more stuff and more money to be happy. And he says in verse 10, pull verse 10 back up for me, please. This is the verse that we miss sometimes and we don't understand. For the love of money, right? It doesn't say money's the root. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We need money. We get that. Money in and of itself is not bad. There's nothing wrong with money. But the way we choose to spend it and the way we choose to go into debt to get more stuff leads us to a bad place. 
we get greedy, don't we? We think we need more. We, we think we deserve more. One of the best examples I've seen of this is a basketball star by the name of Latrell Sprewell. I've used this illustration before, but I, I think it's worth repeating. If you follow NBA basketball, Latrell Sprewell played back in the early 2004 or 2005. How many seasons he played? A really good basketball player. Very talented basketball player. NBA all-star. Made a lot of money. And as he was kind of getting... Towards the end of his career, um, you know, you don't make quite as much. He's not quite as good. And in one of the most famous scenarios that took place in NBA history, Latrell Sprewell, 2004, was offered by the Minnesota Timberwolves an extension of his contract. He was making a lot of money. His extension terms they offered him were three-year, $21 million. Now, that was less than he was already making, by the way. $3 million. Three years, $21 million. Here's what he says. Latrell Sprewell was insulted by that offer. And he said, quote, I have a family to feed. If Glenn Taylor, who's the owner, wants to see my family fed, he better cough up some money. $7 million a year was not enough to feed his family. Ridiculous. Now... Most of us, if ever offered a $7 million a year contract, we'd sign in a heartbeat. Where do I sign, right? Latrell Sprewell said, you know, that's not enough money. I'm really insulted by this offer. I can't feed my family on that kind of cash. Now, we laugh. That's ridiculous, of course. And if you kind of go and follow his story, he's bankrupt now, not doing very well financially. It's a really sad story. We laugh at that, and yet we kind of play that out in our own lives on much smaller scales, don't we? We just always want more. We always want to be greedy. Students, we've got to run from that. We've got to be very careful that money and the things of this world don't drive us. I'm going to give you four things very quickly. Students, you can think about these. Parents, these will apply to your lives as well. Four steps to not let money drive you. These are four very simple biblical principles that will help you to not let money drive you and everything that you do. Here's the first one. They're on the screen. Have a reasonable standard of living. Don't incur massive amounts of debt. I love what Dave Ramsey said. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. (laughs) I like that, man. I think that's probably true a lot of times. Students, let me just tell you, and this is a trap you're going to fall into. Your parents have worked a long time to get to where they are. Right, moms and dads? The house you have, the cars you drive. Chances are you're not going to graduate college at that same level. And that's okay. We don't need to incur great amounts of debt to try to raise to that standard of living. Just live at a reasonable standard of living. Don't incur massive debts. Number two, be generous. I heard a wise man say, you don't have to be rich to be generous. You have to be generous to be generous. Give some away. Help people in need. Give to opportunities and organizations that are in need. Be generous with your money. Number three, understand that the blessings of life come from the Lord. Right, we, we think we're smart enough, we think we have this because we've worked hard enough, we think all these things, and if we really are honest with ourselves, we realize, you know, the Lord gave me these abilities anyway. The Lord gave me the opportunity to live like this. I mean, I'm going to trust the Lord and understand that the blessings of life come from Him. And then fourthly, very simply, seek to please the Lord, not yourself. If you want a kind of a, a simple guiding principle in your life, students, every moment and every day you make a decision, am I making this decision to please myself or am I making this decision to please the Lord? Now, I want to finish up this morning, verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. We need to wind this down. 
But as for you, right? So here's the clear indication to Timothy. Speaking to us, graduates. O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Here's the third truth, kind of the third principle this morning. Flee from evil and trust in God. Flee from evil and trust in God. God. Students, I want to just speak very clearly to you just for a second, okay? You guys have been seniors now for a year. You've been in high school long enough. I understand that the world in which you live in, the temptations in which you face, you're going to face all those multiplied in college. You're going to have this battle in your heart. Maybe it's already raging. Maybe you've already made some decisions you wish you hadn't made. There's going to be this battle. Am I going to please the Lord or am I going to please myself? Am I going to run to the Lord or am I going to run to the things of the world? I'm going to tell you, and I've said this already and parents can attest to this, there's no better place to be than in the will of the Lord. There's no better place to be than finding your joy and your contentment and your hope in the things of Christ. And I'll make a promise to you, and I think we've all, those of us that are a little bit older, seen this enough in our lives to understand this is true. If you choose to follow the things of the world, if you choose to kind of live for self and gratify self and run to the evil and, and all the things that Paul speaks against, you're going to find pleasure in the short term. There is pleasure there. But what you're going to find is it's going to lead you to ruin. And I've had way too many conversations with people over the years, people that sit in my office and say, you know, I've made all these stupid choices. I've walked down this path and I realized I thought things were good. I thought I was making good choices. I thought I was just enjoying life. And I've come to this point and it's a dead end and I don't know how to get back. And you can be that person if you want to. It's your choice. You're an adult. You can kind of make those decisions. But I want to encourage you while you're still young and you've still got the opportunity to live your life for Christ in college and in making careers, and as you get married, choose the path of life. Choose the path of Christ. Choose the path of goodness. And in the words of Paul, flee the enemy, flee the devil, run away from the bad things, turn your back on those things, and trust the Lord instead. Guys, you've got great days ahead. It's exciting what you've accomplished. It's exciting where you go. And I want to challenge you, though, to trust the Lord Seek the Lord, live for him in all things, bring him honor and glory, and he will do great things in your life. Let's pray for us this morning. Father, I pray for these students. I pray for their path forward, Lord. I thank you for the word you've given us now here with Timothy. Just a clear picture of godliness and holiness and how to live a life. For the things of Christ, Father, I pray for these graduates as they move forward. Give them peace and comfort and courage and the ability to hear from you, Lord. And I pray that we'd surround them with love and protection. And I pray you'd receive honor and glory in everything they say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to have a time of invitation. Then we're going to have a neat recognition service for our graduates. So you stand with us this morning. The invitation is open. The altar is open. If you want to come and pray, you want to speak to me, this is an opportunity for you to respond as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. 
Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.